Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Ken Matthews, and I'm alongside Ben, one of the ministers here at St. Joseph's. And it's great to have you with us for our carol service tonight. I hope you've been enjoying singing the carols. I hope more than that, you've appreciated the way our fantastic choir, led by our choir master, Ian Joy, have led us um, in our singing. And so I think it'd be appropriate to give thanks to them for all the time and the skill they've put into this. So let's put our hands together. Well... There's only eight more sleeps till Christmas. Are you ready for it? You got the shopping done? You got the food in? You managed actually to just sit down and watch a good Christmas movie yet? I have to say, I I, I used to be a bit of a Christmas movie snob. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of bad Christmas movies out there, aren't there? Uh, But over the last handful of years, I've come to really appreciate a really good one. Uh, and a week or so ago, I came across a list of the top five Christmas movies ever. Wonder what you think is on there. What do you reckon? Well, I'm not going to leave you in suspense. Here we go. Number five, we've got Home Alone. Then number four, controversially, it's Die Hard. I know, I know, I know. It, it, that, that sometimes needs a little bit of a technical discussion, but that's not a discussion we're going to get into just now. We don't have time for that. We'll move swiftly on into third place, which is Elf. I don't know. Would that make you a top five? Then at second place, it's the Muppets Christmas Carol, which only leaves us with number one. Drum roll, please. What do you think we've got? Is it going to be Love Actually? Is it going to be The Grinch? Is it going to be Miracle on 34th Street? No, none of the above. It is indeed, it's a wonderful life. This is the movie that so often makes the top of the pops when it comes to these kinds of lists. And if you haven't seen it, don't worry, I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but basically the film centers around this guy called George Bailey. And George thinks that he's done nothing worthwhile in his life, and he even wonders whether... It was worth him being alive at all. And so the big question in the film is this. What would happen if George Bailey had never been born? And here we are at Christmas, folks, and I think it's helpful to ask a similar kind of question about the birthday boy, Jesus. What if Jesus had never been born? I mean, it all seems so long ago and... Uh, and such so far, far away from us that it's easy to feel that he had little or no impact, little or no difference to how we live here in 21st century Britain. But John, the writer of that first reading we had this evening, he wants us to know that if Jesus had never been born, we would be walking in complete darkness. I mean, just imagine this for a moment, will you? Imagine that that this room that we're seated in just now is all that we knew. So the doors are locked. That's not a threat, by the way. The doors are still open. But just imagine the doors are locked and the windows have been whitewashed. And so we can't see out. And our phones, they, they won't connect with the outside world anymore. Totally useless to us. And on top of it all, we've got collective amnesia. We've, we've lost our memories. We have no notion of how we got here 
or uh, why we're here. Now, inevitably, I think questions would arise there, wouldn't, wouldn't they? Who put us here and why? And what is out there? And what's going to happen next? And I think, no doubt, some theories, some opinions about answers to these questions would emerge too. Like, uh, the uh, rationalist would be going, oh, gosh, I wonder. I, I wonder. I think we've probably been kidnapped by someone and put here. I think we all rounded up like that. That's what's happened. But the scientist is, is busy beavering away, uh, trying to come up with a different theory, scraping away at the walls, you know, trying to figure it all out, uh, while the theist is muttering some vague suspicions about there being some kind of God. Well, the wishful thinker, well, the wishful thinker is just kind of wandering around, going, oh, oh, oh no, it's okay, everybody. I'm sure whoever's put us here, they're, they're really good and kind and nice, and it's all going to work out fine in the end. But I think once we think about it, we'd have to agree with the agnostic, who says, look, the simple fact is, we don't know. And what's more, we can't know. The only way we can is if, we're some, if someone was to come in from the outside. And if Jesus had never been born, that's where we'd be, in the darkness, utterly ignorant, not knowing any of the answers to life's big questions, and just trying to figure it out ourselves. But see what John tells us about Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So John's saying, he's saying, yes, there's someone outside the room. Someone who was there in the beginning, someone who's made everything, including you and me. And he knows what life's for, why we're here. There is a God. But then comes the mind blow. As John tells us that this word, who is not only God, and was with him in the beginning, but is God himself. He became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. You see, Christmas is when God has stepped into the room so that we can stop guessing and we can know. As in Jesus, the distant, invisible, unknowable, unreachable God has come to us in human flesh. And he didn't come simply to settle an argument. No, for, for I guess if God just wanted to prove to us that he existed, he could have just popped in at any point in human history. Maybe Christmas Day, popping in on the t TV during the Queen's speech, or King's speech as it now is. Hi. <laughs> Hello. I'm God. Just so you know, I'm here. All right. Ta-ta for now. Mic drop. And off he pops again. But in Jesus, God didn't become a human just for a moment, but for a lifetime. Because he didn't only want us to know that he's there, but he also wants us to know that he cares. 
He didn't stay distant and aloof in heaven from the dysfunction and messiness of our world and our lives. No, Jesus, the King of heaven, willingly, knowingly enters our circumstances, totally unarmed, no gun, no bulletproof vest, defenseless, naked and exposed. He came as a defenseless baby, wriggling in a manger. Which is why John also says that Jesus came to join us in what he calls our darkness. So read the histories, the biographies of Jesus' life, and you'll find that Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry and tired and weary and worn out as we may well be as we come approaching this Christmas season. He knows what it's like to be a refugee who had to flee his homeland to escape a despotic ruler. He knows what it's like to weep at the graveside of a loved one who has died, to know that sorrow and that pain, even that anger at the loss. He knows what it's like to suffer family breakdown. Things got so bad at one point that his own family came and tried to get him sectioned. He even knows what it is to contemplate suicide as the night before he was executed, he was sorely tempted to find another way out. And all of this means that there is nothing that you or I might be going through tonight that God doesn't know about and understand Whatever year you have had, he knows because he has been there too. How can you deny that God is for you when you look in the manger? He is so for us that he became one of us. So Christmas brings clarity. God is really there. And Christmas brings comfort. He really cares. Christmas also brings us a challenge, I think. As unlike us, Jesus didn't get sucked into the darkness. Instead, the perfection of his life, the brilliance of his light exposes the darkness in ours. Which is why John goes on to say that the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. A friend of mine met a guy recently who used to teach Paul Scholes, the England and Manchester United footballer, PE, when he was at school. If you don't know Scholesy, uh, as he's often referred to, he was probably one of the best footballers of his generation. But during his time at school, his PE teacher says that when they came to play football and the boys all lined up and a couple of captains would, would take picks, you know how, how it goes, Scholes, he would always be picked last, always. And, and more than that, once the teams were picked and they were about to start the game, the boys would all crowd around the PE teacher and say, oh, oh, can, sir, sir, please make Scholes go in goals. Please do that. Make, make him do it. Why? Why would you do that? Having Paul scores on your team is an instant win. Just give him the ball and let him do his thing. 
But the thing was, with Paul sidelined, all the rest of the boys could actually kid themselves that they were really good at football. <laughs> but let him loose. And all of their lack of ability would be exposed. <laughs> you know, that's kind of why, what John says here. Because we live our lives just like those boys played football. <laughs> we are not nearly as good as we think we are. I mean, it's fairly easy to look good or to feel good about ourselves when we, we look around and compare ourselves with others. We can always find somebody who's worse than us. But stand along Jesus for a minute and we're going to be shown up for what we are. Which is why John describes Jesus as a light shining in the darkness. He lights up the darkness of our hearts and shows us how bad we really are. Alongside Jesus, I'm filthy. Is it any wonder then that we are so quick to reject him, to put him in goal? I think this begs a massive question, doesn't it? Why would God step down to join us in our darkness when he knew that we were going to reject him? Well, John tells us why. As he says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, Jesus shared our humanity not just to show that he cares for us, but so that he might bring us back into a relationship with God. The reason we walk in darkness is because we have run so far from him, the light. He is the one who gives us life and breath, food, family, friends, fun, all of the good gifts that we enjoy at this time of year. They are all gifts from God. And yet, we take these gifts and then we treat God like he's the Amazon delivery driver. <laughs> yeah, we, we might nod an acknowledgement to him on the doorstep as we sign for the package, but ultimately, what we really want to do is close the door and get on with doing our thing. But here is the great good news of Christmas. Jesus became one of us so that he could save us. And the really surprising thing is just the way he did that. As he was born in a crib so that he could go and die on a cross. And on that cross, God treated Jesus as if he were you or me putting on his shoulders the punishment we deserve for our rejection of him so that he could treat you and me as if he were Jesus and accept us and welcome us into his family home as his dearly beloved children. Listen again to the invitation to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. I started this evening with the top five Christmas movies. How about I finish with one of my favorite Christmas songs? It's Chris Rea's Driving Home for Christmas. 
I don't know if that makes your Christmas playlist, but I really love it because it, it kind of expresses that yearning in my heart each year when Christmas comes rushing up on us to want to be home with my family. Like no other time of year, Christmas ignites in us the hope that in spite of all of the dysfunctional dynamics, disappointments, arguments, unreconcilable disagreements, and loneliness that there often are in families, we still hope, don't we? That we might somehow sit joyfully round a table with those that we love and for it to feel right and good. Something in our hearts stubbornly grasps at the memories, no matter how fleeting they were, feeling deeply loved and known and safe. And folks, could it be that what our hearts are really grasping after is a longing that has been put there by God to want to come and be home with him? Could it be that he sent Jesus in order to bring us home, not as slaves, but as sons and daughters, as his children? And could it be that it is only through faith in Jesus, through believing in him, that we can truly have fully the peace and the joy and the hope and the love that we are all looking for? You see, Jesus came to give us the greatest Christmas present of all time. That's why he was born. That's the difference that he makes. And it's an offer that is open to every single one of us this evening, this Christmas. So I want to really encourage you to take some time this season to open the gift. If it's true, surely it is worth examining more closely. So in a moment, Ben is going to come back and give us a few tips and ideas in terms of how we can be doing that over the next few weeks and into the new year. But for now, though, we're going to sing our final carol together. So let me wish you a very, very happy Christmas when the time comes and encourage you to get on your feet again and let's sing together.